This is Magic City Soccer. Es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. Let's go, Miami FC. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Vamos, Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, your home for everything you need to know about soccer in Miami-Dade County. Hello, soccer fans in South Florida and beyond, and welcome to our show. It is once again a two-man show tonight, but uh, we have Drew Hausman out and about, and so we have Omar, Omar Mubayed with us this evening. Omar, how you doing, buddy? It's been so long since you said my name, you butchered it. I know, right? I was not ready for it, uh, but I'm so ready to have you back on because we have so much to talk about. Uh, let's dive right in. There's obviously the big Open Cup discussion to be had, but we've got a little bit of time before that game kicks off, so we want to focus more on league play, NPSL play, and the Miami FC 2. Uh, they obviously were coming off a pretty disappointing loss to the aforementioned Miami United. They've had two league games uh, since, and they've had a bit of an opportunity to work out some of their frustrations. First off, by playing a team in Palm Beach County, uh, Palm Beach United, and getting a pretty good result. Um, uh, go ahead and play in that uh, game and winning 2-1 on the road up in Palm Beach. Omar, what do you take away from that game? I think Miami FC did exactly what they had to do. And yet, like I mentioned in a recap, and we're going to talk about that game in just a second, I think all of us are guilty of thinking that Miami FC is this offensive firepower based on our feelings that we carry over from last season. And, you know, early on in this MPSL season and even throughout the Open Cup, that hasn't been the case. It hasn't been a situation where Miami FC has been this, you know, offensive juggernaut. So we find ourselves kind of in between two mindsets. Who is this team and where is the team that we knew of before? So... You know, as as uh, sorry, you see now I can't remember your name. As Matt said just a couple seconds ago, um, you know Miami FC drove up to Palm Beach County and, and probably played just on the Palm Beach Martin County borderline. That means way up there is a drive, way up there in North Jupiter, uh, and they got a, they got a result, and that's what's key here because when you drop the first three matches, or I should say not drop, but when you give up points in your first three matches and you've managed to draw each and every one of those, you need to start collecting road wins, and a road win is exactly what they collected. Yeah, it was definitely you know a match assisted by the fact they were able to to get a a, a penalty kick in, which is a bit of a recurring theme. Uh, with this team, Don Smart doing a good job tucking them away. You can get the video of that uh, on MagicCity.Soccer. Uh, Drew Hausman, shout out there for getting the video. He's an expert at uh, taking video of penalty kicks. Um, yeah, it's... It's it, the set piece of videography. Yes, it really is. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Palm Beach, were, it, they seem really intent on trying to grind out uh, a result here uh, against Miami FC. You know, they were pretty... You know, tactical and compact. They really had seemed to have a, a solid strategy uh, going into the game. Um, but Miami FC were able to muscle out a win. And I think that's ultimately the the biggest thing to take away from this match. And we don't want to talk about a match that's more than a week old now. But um, the fact that Miami FC faced an opponent, faced a difficult challenge, rose to the occasion, and got the win... That, to me, is something that it's been difficult for Miami FC this year. Uh, you know, they, they've they've been more likely to get a lead and blow it. Uh, you know, not so that they lose, uh, at least in league play. But uh, but in, in the league competition they've had, they've been able to basically tread water. In this well, match... That's a good way to put it. In this match, it appears they were starting to swim. You know, it wasn't pretty, it wasn't perfect, but it does really appear like... A game they refused to lose. And with the rain that, you know, came down on the match, that's a great analogy by you. Well done. They're starting to swim <laughs> within the, the monsoon that they were playing in. Um, you know, it, it's really amazing that we kind of have, as we were talking about earlier, right, and I was mentioning that, you know, we're, we're looking at this team and we're expecting this offensive juggernaut that just doesn't happen to be there. And yet there seems to be, the opposite going on when it comes to penalties, because time and time again over the last two seasons uh, in the NASL, you know, I know we've looked around at each other and said, well, who the hell is going to take the penalty kicks? 
And and we've had a couple guys take penalties, and we've seen some horrendous you know approaches and attempts. And yet Don Smart calmly just manages to tuck them away, and it, and doesn't make a bigger deal of them than they actually are. Yes, yeah, see, he's definitely he had such a great preseason, and then such a lackluster start to this regular season that it's it's been good to see him get back on track here. Uh, where he's solidly contributing, really taking kind of a a leadership position uh, within the club on the field, like it, that that's been really uh, heartening to see that a guy that you know has the talent, you know he's he's got the he's got the stuff. Um, being be, him being able to kind of display that, uh, that's a good thing for everyone involved. Yeah, absolutely. So with the win, Miami is able to jump into a tie for second uh, with Boca Raton as of that match date, which was Saturday, uh, and. You know, the, the, here comes a slow and steady climb up the table that, you know, I think we're all expecting to begin. And and it was an important win against a team that, you know, is sitting and, and jockeying for that, you know, what we assume to be that fourth position uh, in the Sunshine Conference. Because, you know, listen, Miami FC didn't get to a hot start. Miami United's on a torrid pace. Lord have mercy. And Jacksonville Amada, you know, while they drew Miami and, uh, and you know, they, they have a match rescheduled against Miami United... We haven't really seen enough of their actions. I believe they've only played two league games so far. So we haven't really seen a whole lot of from them. So, you know, maybe even that third position's up for debate. If a team like Boca or a team like Palm Beach, can, uh, Palm Beach United can get on a run. And, you know, in Miami FC, and again, we've, we've talked and talked and talked about how the start wasn't exactly how they wanted it to go. And certainly when you look at the fact that the Open Cup uh, isn't exactly didn't exactly go how Miami FC wanted. You know, you look at Miami United's schedule. They had two draws against um, uh, Miami FC's schedule. They had two draws against Miami United. They had the draw against Jacksonville Armada. And now they've tucked two wins under their belt, which we'll talk about the second win in a second. But they got that win against Palm Beach United. You know who Palm Beach United beat? Miami United. And so when you're... When there you're you looking go. at Miami FC's position on the table, yes, they're behind Miami United by six points. But in reality, they, they do have a little bit of a, a, a tailwind at their back now. The, the whole table's a mess. It's it's really... The whole table is a mess. Yes. No, no, no. Listen, before we get into the next game, the table is... I mean, I've, I've never... I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. More often than not, you usually see a disparity of a game, perhaps two. Miami United's played six league matches, and essentially they're going to be going into their fourth, or should say fourth, third, Open Cup game. And the rest of the league is sitting on an average of three, and Jacksonville hasn't even played their third league yeah, match. Yeah, it's, it's really confusing. Um, you know, Jacksonville is currently sitting top table uh if you're looking at it points per game, which is actually how the NPSL displays it. Um, but they're going to have a big fixture crunch coming up, man, because they haven't done much of anything so far. And yeah, you're looking at Miami United, Miami FC. They've been, they've been playing their tails off. They've had Miami United, six league games, Miami FC two, five. They've each played multiple open cup matches. Miami United has at least one more open cup match. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how the, the conference schedule finishes because yeah, it's it's really going to be a matter of can you keep your legs up? Can can you keep, you know, your form up and running when you you've been playing all these games? And if you're Jacksonville Armada, are you able to deal with the tsunami that's coming? Are you going to be able to deal with the wave of games that's coming right in your face? Oh, absolutely. You know, we know Miami FC has a tough schedule coming ahead where there's pretty much a match. You know, they're going to be going through a grinder or they are going through the grinder of a match every couple of days here. And, and now it's going to kind of space out a little bit for them. It's going to become kind of an every week uh, matter. But United, are they're going to go through the gauntlet too starting this week. They're going to, granted, they get to play two of their three games at home, which I mean always helps. Uh, but at the same time, they're going to be playing three matches in seven days. And that's not easy. And when you really extrapolate, they're going to be playing five matches in 14 days. doesn't matter how many guys you have on your roster. That's, that's no cakewalk. Uh, agreed, agreed. So, um, speaking of a cakewalk, Miami FC 2 traveled to Broward. Uh, oh. That's how the pros do it. <laughs> Miami FC 2 traveled up to Broward uh, yesterday, Wednesday, if you're not listening as we're recording it, which would be really weird. 
uh, traveled up to the lovely confines of the Cricket Stadium at Central Broward Regional Park to take on Storm FC. Omar, you were live on the scene doing some excellent uh, coverage for Magic City Soccer Live. Uh, if you're, well, you're, you, if you're interested in seeing that game, you can see it on Periscope. Uh, the broadcast is still up and available. Uh, and the actual video, we're going to be looking to get that up on YouTube um, within, hopefully, by the end of the day Friday so that you can see it in a little bit higher quality. Um, but, yeah, it was a game where if you're a Miami FC 2 fan, you're going to want to go back and watch it because goals aplenty. Well, I'm going to do what I wanted to do yesterday, but I couldn't do. So I'm going to go ahead and do that right now. Give me one second here. <laughs> one more second, please. I missed the podcast beer. Yes, so um, I took it upon myself to stream the match for the Miami FC faithful who could not make the trip over to Central Broward Stadium. And you know what? I dodged some some legal matters there as well. Some can argue. Um, As you mentioned, the matches, the match, I should say, both halves are still on Periscope. The first half considerably worse than the second, given the lighting and the positioning of the stadium. And if you've been to Central Broward Stadium, you will know exactly what we're talking about. And as Matt alluded to, goals aplenty. Let's put it this way. The match could have started off in the first 15 seconds with a goal, which probably would have been the fastest goal scored in Miami FC history. However, Chris Terpak gets a ball in the box, and his first touch eludes him just a little bit, and he's not able to get a shot on frame. Not even 10 minutes later, Jaime Chavez is in a scenario where he's able to chip the Storm FC goalkeeper, and he clangs it off the left post. In a move that's very reminiscent to you've got the keeper coming out at you on FIFA, you're making a move real quick, you see you've got a lot of room behind him, so you just smash that L1 circle and, and put a chip in. How many times has it happened where you want to throw the controller through the television, right? It's happened quite a lot. It happened to Jaime Chavez at Central Broward Stadium. However, it wouldn't be much longer for Jaime Chavez to open the scoring, all right? Just a few minutes later, Jaime Chavez would get a ball from Ariel Martinez, and he would actually have to face a charging Storm FC keeper again. Again, for the third time in a row, he's having to come way out of his net. This time, however, Jaime Chavez sidesteps him, and he puts the ball in the back of the net, giving Miami FC the 1-0 lead. Yeah, it was... um, I I was following a little bit afar, as I like to say. I was in the... uh... Magic City Soccer Media Headquarters back at Media Central, uh, following along, making sure the broadcast was working. Uh, They're out Florida, three three one two two. But yeah, so in the back of your mind, in this game, if you're following Miami FC two, you have to keep in mind Miami United's game against Storm FC from a couple of weeks ago when they scored nine. Uh, and so this is this is the, obviously Storm is not the strongest side in the Sunshine Conference. In case that wasn't obvious. Um, Opposite day. Yeah. Uh, goal differential, not great for them. They're not going to break any ties on goal differential this year. Uh, minus 20 so far in three games. Um, but so in in the back of your mind, you're, you're constantly looking to measure up against Miami United and say, well, are they going to get nine? Are they not going to get nine? What's going to happen? And so it took a little bit for that first goal to go in. But it seemed like once the first goal got in, then Miami FC got back on schedule and were really just putting them past the goalie pretty much whenever they wanted. And in fairness to the goalie, and you made this point repeatedly on the broadcast, um, not really his fault. Not much he could do. No. No, calling him Neuer Light. And I and I apologize if people found that insulting. Uh, I You know, any goalkeeper that wants to be really active and, you know, venture from his area quite often, you know, it, to me it's always very indicative of somebody who wants to play that Neuer-style football. And... You know, there isn't more than one Manuel Neuer in the world. It doesn't matter what divisions we're in. Maybe there's a second somewhere who plays very similar and can get away with it. But there's a reason why that gentleman does what he does and he's able to get away with it. Uh, but, yeah, absolutely. You know, Storm FC kept that man on an island by himself all night. Um, I wouldn't even put it in the Liverpool's carriest perspective because, <laughs> I mean, the defense was nowhere to be found in front of him. I mean, let's be very honest. And moving on into the 28th minute, Chavez would strike again, finally beating Tabar to the near side, absolutely freezing the keeper just a bit there. And the assist came from Thomas Greco, making his NPSL debut, and I should say his Miami FC 2 debut in the regular season, uh, who was playing in the midfield alongside Ariel Martinez and Manny Gonzalez and looked pretty damn good yes. doing it. Yeah, it was It was a... Moving on go later... Ahead. No, go, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say, moving on later into the first half... 
Turpak, obviously we talked about his miss in the 15 seconds of the game. However, Tyler Pollock would feed him in something that was very crucial to Miami FC in this match in the first half. They wanted to work the ball down the wings and use the pace against Storm FC, and they did it perfectly. This time, Pollock found uh, Turpak with a crafty pass, and my and he was basically off to the races. He was all alone. He was able to go ahead and beat Tabar this time and you know, kind of slide around him, put the ball in the back of the net, and make Miami's lead. 3-0 going into the half. And halftime uh, didn't really appear to slow them down at all because, uh, again, they, they they wound up with a total of 7. 3-0 at halftime. They got 4 in the second half. Really just, a, just an overall, um, again, watching it on the broadcast, just seemed like my, uh, Storm FC were overwhelmed. There, there wasn't much they could do to counter what Miami FC 2 were putting on the field. No, and credit to Paul Douglas at the same time for managing the game correctly. You know, definitely you look at the table before going into this match and know that this could be the Sunshine Conference weakest team. And really, I'm saying could to be nice. Uh, And he he managed his deployment perfectly. He made four halftime substitutions, allowing certain guys to get a break and allowing certain guys to finally get some valuable game minutes for an extended period of time. Jeffrey Mashad entered the match at halftime along with Don Smart, Red Bernstein, and Sean Chin. At the 60-minute mark, he allowed Tyler Ruffin uh, and Ariel Martinez to get some rest, and they brought in Dylan Mares uh, and one other individual that I do not remember off the top of my head, so I do apologize. <laughs> but it's really a scenario where you know he let Greco and he let Manny Gonzalez play the whole game, and these were guys that, that needed the minutes to kind of get their engines going and moving forward. As you mentioned... You know, Miami did finally pot in seven goals by the end of the night. Uh, Don Smart contributed two goals between minutes 73 and 79, one coming from the penalty. Again, penalty, uh, what is he, a penalty take specialist? Is that what we I should call I think so, yeah, that's his, it, definitely his role now. And Dario Suarez uh, goes ahead and puts in the sixth and the 90th minute off a diving effort off a Don Smart cross. So Smart, in essentially 45 minutes of action, gets two goals and an assist uh, to his credit. And... Dylan Mares is able to tally the last goal in the dying moments of the game. All the videos of the goal with the play-by-play call done by yours truly uh, is on the website on magiccity.soccer. Go ahead and look for that recap titled The Miami FC 2 Come Alive and they route the Storm 7-0. Um, listen, I had a lot of fun doing play-by-play and Miami FC uh, communications team, if you're listening, I'd be more than happy to do it cheaper than somebody else. So that being <laughs> Shots said, fired. That be- that being said, listen, I don't know how much they pay their current staff. I have no idea. I'd be willing to do it for, you know, peanuts and taking, beer. Taking Bruce out at the knees, right? The kneecaps. Uh, I love Bruce. I'm just kidding. I'd love to do it alongside yeah. him, though. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so, um, Miami FC 2, they now have, they're kind of in this weird middle ground type situation where they don't have the... The open cup to play for. They're clearly got to target the league, and and basically they seem to have put their heads on straight and and put themselves in the right mindset to do so. Yeah, absolutely. When you look at the table now, and when we look at it as of all matches being played as of last night, you know, yes, they have one game in hand on Miami United, and they are technically only two points back. Miami United dropping a match to Palm Beach United is huge when you talk about the implications on the table and what it could look like at the end of the season. Uh, But, you know, that would require Miami FC to basically remain perfect the rest of the way through. And you really would want Jacksonville to essentially draw their second, or I should say their two matches with Miami United so that neither of those teams kind of get a leg up on Miami FC here. So while they don't control their own fate with regards to winning the table at this moment... uh, at the same time, you know, they're, they're still in the thick of things. And with the Sunshine Conference expanding now to the three-team playoff, where uh, positions two and three in the table will play off each other, uh, to earn, if I'm not mistaken, the MPSL's, um, you know, spot in, in the Southern Region playoffs, you know, there's more to play for. This season isn't over, and I think what's going to be key is how do you take the frustration and how do you take the disappointment from being out of the Open Cup and rework that negative energy into positives for the MPSL run? Because we've talked about it. This is a team of professionals, and they're playing in a league where, listen, you can say arguably may not no longer be so as far beneath them as we once thought it was. However, 
you still see the level of disparity in the skill when Miami FC takes on teams like Storm FC, when they will take on a team like Naples United. Palm Beach United did well to keep them to one goal, and arguably you can even say Palm Beach United was in the game for most of the match. But, you know, with another match coming up ahead now against Boca Raton, that's going to be another place where Miami FC can leave a statement on when they're going to bring to the table in 2018. Yeah, I definitely feel, you know, we talked about this earlier in the season, um, this season is going to be defined by two things. First off, getting results against that first-tier opponents, Jacksonville and Miami United for Miami FC 2. And this goes for all three of those teams. For Jacksonville, for Miami United and Miami FC, can you get results out of those games? By results, I mean a win or a draw. A draw, you take it. Because a draw, you're yes, you're only getting one point, but you're holding them to one point too. One point as well, I should say. The second factor is, are you going to screw up against the other teams? Not to say that Boca can't compete. Not to say that Palm Beach United can't get a result they clearly did against Miami United. Not to say that Naples can't do something and and, and be competitive. Storm, sorry. But if you're losing a Storm, if you're Jacksonville, Miami, or Miami FC, uh, it, that's going to really put a dent in your season. But against that second-tier competition... Are you going to get three points every time, home and away, no matter the circumstances, no matter if there's a red card, no matter if you have an open-up game? Are you getting three points? Because if you are, you're putting yourself in a really good position. And if you're not, that's how the door really opens up. And, I mean, that was the formula of success. And I hate that I'm making this comparison because you really can't equate the two leagues. But that was the formula for success for Leicester City when they won the Premier League. They took care of the games that they knew they needed results from and three points from, and they were able they were able to manage draws against teams that they had no business getting draws in going into that yes. season. You know, so that's really the formula for success when you look at almost any league around the world. And it's just you need to take care of the teams that you must take care of. You shouldn't be dropping points to the teams at the bottom of the table. It doesn't matter if your table has seven teams in it, twelve teams in it, or twenty teams in it. And you got to be earning the draws and or getting results out of the games against the people in your weight class. And you know what? Give credit to Miami FC because early on they were able to manage three draws and they didn't drop any points in games that, you know, arguably they should have probably not walked away with any points in. The two being against Miami United already. And Jacksonville Armada's game, well, you know, you didn't come off on the strong foot. You didn't get the opening goal in that match. So, you know what? You'll take the points there. So, you're kind of left in this position where you've got one match left against this tier one group and it's going to be on the road in Jacksonville in basically a week's time essentially and you're going to have to go ahead and make sure to walk out of Hodges Stadium or wherever they're playing now with all three points yeah it's really going to be uh that's going to be a big 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 test um for really for both squads for both squads um so we come now to the present day Miami FC have uh, a, a pretty big game against a pretty notable South Florida soccer brand uh, and, and a pretty uh, competitive lower division team over the last few years, Boca Raton. Um, we're going to talk more about that game in a second, but of course, we got to pause a moment and give some acknowledgement to our sponsor this week, Groundhopper. Hello, soccer fans in South Florida. Us here at Magic City Soccer want to tell you about our newest podcast sponsor. Groundhopper. Whether you're a passionate soccer supporter or just enjoy watching the game, check out the Groundhopper app, the handiest tool for soccer fans. Check in at the game and earn badges for all kinds of achievements. Compete with your friends and see who's the biggest fan of your team. Find all the fixtures taking place where you are, whether it's Miami or Madrid. This way you can turn any trip into a soccer trip. Available now on the Google Play and iTunes app store. Now, back to the podcast. All right, as always, thank you very much to Groundhopper for their support of our show. Uh, we, we always encourage you to go to the Google Play Store, the Android Store, the uh, iTunes Store, wherever you get your apps, and, and download Groundhopper. It's really fun uh, to be able to see Drew check in at all kinds of assorted venues for soccer whenever he goes to a new... It's well done by you. That's a great job. Let's see Drew check in because Drew is religious yes, on Drew, that thing, Drew will man. check in at any sort of high school or... Or middle school or wherever the hell there's soccer going on, Drew is checking in. Um, so, I guess the key question here is: When Foursquare was a big thing, how many places do you think Drew was in the running? For oh, being I bet a lot. Of? I bet a lot. Yes, you I think I so. Bet, yeah, 
this is I think Groundhopper is like uh, the perfect combination of of Drew Hausman's interests, uh, and I can't wait for him to hear this in the show and react. But I'm willing to bet, yeah, I'm willing to bet that Drew the over under on places where Drew has been mayor. I'm setting it at five and a half. Yes, wow, I'm, that's I'm, high, I'm, man. I'm, that's I'm I feel comfortable with that. I will book that bet five and a half. So oh, for Mark? sure, yeah, uh, just that Time that whole kind of nexus in the Grove. I'm I'm I yeah. For sure, we're we're we're, we're going to get an answer on that uh, before our next episode. But I, I I bet Drew has been mayor at at least five at least six places. Fat Tuesdays, yes, rest of R.I.P. Um, all right. So as we said before our wonderful commercial break, um, Miami FC now have this match against Boca Raton basically in two days, uh, traveling up to Atlantic High School, facing off against Boca Raton June second, six p.m. Um, this is, to me, this has been a match I've been looking forward to a lot. The opportunity for Miami FC2 to face off against Boca Raton, um, to me, that's exciting. To me, that's all, that's what South Florida soccer should be all about. So what what kind of name do you give this match? Because obviously this is going to be the first time where the two organizations go at each other, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think they've ever played in a preseason game or a friendly. So... What do you uh? What do you enable this? Because this is essentially Palm Beach County versus Dade County here, and this is like actual Palm Beach County, not like Port yeah, St. Lucie. With, with all due respect to Palm Beach United, which you know they are in Palm Beach, but for 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 Dade Countyans, we're we're not going that far up usually. If we're going that far up, we're going to Orlando. Um, so yeah, Boca is a little bit more our speed. I don't know. Let's let, let's chew on that. Let's chew on that one and, and see if we can come up with a good name before the end of the show. I mean, there's a lot of ties to that Boca team, too, with essentially with, you know, they're being managed by Jim Rooney. And anybody who, you know, has has a keen interest in Miami soccer knows that Jim Rooney joined the Miami Fusion back in 1999. And he, and he was putting in goals in his day uh, when Miami had an MLS team initially. Yes, for sure. You know, uh, Rooney also spent some time as an assistant with the Strikers. Uh, he's got South Florida connections. He's got South Florida connections and... and that will be that will be quite interesting. The, the, to me, uh, and again, I'll, I'll credit the 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 Miami FC game preview for this because it's pretty much the first player they mention, and it is a name that you need to watch, uh, Mateus Arroya, who's just been putting in goals like nobody's business. Um, that to me is a player that Miami the the center backs of Miami FC have got to keep an eye on as he gets close to the box because he he will put it in on him. And he will give Boca a chance in this game. Yeah, absolutely. The five nine forward, uh, formerly playing for Lynn University in Boca Raton, he is somebody to watch out for. Clearly, uh, has four goals to his tally already, leading Boca Raton. Uh, you know, on the score sheet. You know, he's not putting in goals to the likes of some of the guys from Miami United, but you know, he's right up there with them. Miami FC's leader in goals so far this season is Jaime Chavez and Don Smart with three apiece, and this guy already has four. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see what kind of strategy that uh that Rooney is gonna roll out with Boca. Are they are they gonna go for it? Are they gonna go kind of a high pressure attack approach? Or are they gonna try to slow it down and kind of grind it out? Um I I think we've mentioned before you know, we've talked about the top three in this league. If if there is a a challenger to the throne, if there is a, a, a team that you would expect to be in the race the most uh, with those top three, it is Boca. And um, I'm really, now that, again, it's the Miami FC2, this big name, traveling up, traveling up to Palm Beach County, getting a chance at... Uh, Boca, I'm really interested to see are are they going to withstand the pressure? Are they going to get a result out of it? You know, as you look at the table, again, going points per game, um, Boca Raton are getting a point and a half per game. They're just right behind Miami FC too. So they are, you know, again, remove the fact that one of the teams has only played two games and all that stuff. They are a team that appears ready to challenge. They're a team uh, that, you know, scored eight goals, um, in its four games, you know, knocking in about two a game, uh, that's pretty good. That's about on pace with where Miami FC is, who have 11 and 5. Uh, you know, they've given up seven goals. Miami FC has only given up three. That would appear to be the difference. Miami FC 2's uh, defense, again, save the Miami United Open Cup game, has been their calling card this season. 
if Boca can't unlock that puzzle, I know I'm mixing my metaphors there. If it can't, you know, pick that lock, there we go. If if Boca can't pick that lock, uh, I think it's going to be a long night for him. Well, let's be, let's be very clear about something. It's, it's less about Miami. You know, I'm sorry. It's less about Miami FC's defense than it is about having Vega uh, in true. the pipe. Absolutely true. I mean, it's just I call a spade a spade here. Let's not let's not sugarcoat what doesn't need to be sugarcoated. But one thing to keep in mind is that we just talked about Miami FC gaining results against teams that they must beat. Right, and and you kind of put Boca in this situation as well. Boca has won two straight matches. However, they've beaten Naples United and Storm FC, the two teams currently sitting at the bottom of the MPSL Sunshine Conference, and they've lost their first two league games. Granted, they were in that Jacksonville Armada match where they lost by a scoreline of two to one. So you can't really fault them because you know, they, like I said, they were in the match basically the whole time. However. They dropped the match against Miami United that wasn't necessarily that close to a score result of 4-0. So you see now the division in the leagues and you see where the professional players and the professional experience tends to pull away against certain opposition. If Boca Raton were to even manage a draw in this match, that would be a huge upset and something that if I'm the Heisers, I'm walking away from this match ecstatic about. Oh, agreed. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, if you're... Boca, you you settle happily for a one-one draw, and then you go back to the, the the schedule and see where you can pick up wins elsewhere. You would definitely favor Miami FC two in this matchup, uh, even though it is on the road. Even though there's a bit of fixture clog here, and you're going to from a Wednesday to a Saturday, you would still think Miami FC two would have the advantage. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. without a doubt. Um, so uh, that game again, as I mentioned, that game's going to take place. Uh, this Saturday, that is June 2nd, 6, 6 p.m. PM kick, so a little bit early for the, the Blue Plate special folks up in Boca. And it's Boca, <laughs> precisely. Uh, again, that one's going to take place at Atlantic High School up in Boca. So, uh, so just outside Boca City Limits, located at Delray Beach, yes. technically. Uh, but I think... So for those traveling... for the, I mean, no, I that's okay. That's off, all right. I'm so sorry. But for those traveling... Uh, Listen, after the match is over, it's going to be about an 8 o'clock start. The party on Atlantic Avenue is just getting underway. I would definitely hit up the strip on Atlantic Avenue. Remember, I was a temporary citizen of Boca Raton, or I should say West Boca, last summer. I, I know my South Palm Beach County. I yes, know it pretty and again, well. 8 o'clock, things are going to be getting r- real lit, real lit up in Boca at, at around 8 o'clock. Uh, say hi to Lane Kiffin if you bump into him, because he might be uh, out on the prowl. Train? <laughs> um, so we have one last thing to talk about. It is the big story, uh, and we will get that to that in just a second. You know, this is what we call suspense. This is what we call building up the tension, building up the excitement. Find um, <laughs> out next. But we do have a, a little bit of an appetizer before we dive into the the open cup discussion. And to me, it's a really interesting story that I think e- even if you're not a Miami FC2 fan or Miami United or whatever the case may be. I think it's something that's going to interest you. Um, we had, or I had the opportunity earlier this week to sit down and talk to uh, a man who I think is running something that's really cool. And even if you are not necessarily a, a big money baller who's going to be able to get involved in this, uh, there is a big auction of basically soccer history that's being run out of a, a, a an auction house in Miami Beach called Fupalasta. Uh, and Ariel Gonzalez, who founded Football Asta and the Football Gallery on Miami Beach, basically has this collection that he's calling The Nations and Idols. And it is a series of basically the history of soccer in the Americas. Um, and you, you can check it out online. You can go to Magic City Soccer. The article is live now and you can find out more about it. However, we were able to talk to him uh, and kind of learn more about the collection and learn more about kind of why he got involved in this. So uh, when we come back, we will talk about Miami United in its Open Cup matchup. But for now, here's Ariel Gonzalez with Football Asta. All right, it's Matthew here, and I'm pleased to be talking to Ariel Gonzalez. Uh, Ariel is with Football Asta Auctions, uh, which is running a pretty uh, interesting collection of items in their uh, in their auction uh, coming up over the next couple of weeks. Uh, Ariel, um, we'll, we'll talk more about some of the specifics and some of the real uh, goodies that are available to soccer fans around the world. Um, but what attracts you to kind of 
collecting and selling uh, these items of such significance to soccer fans? Okay, I have been I have been doing. It's a pleasure meeting you. I have been doing this since uh, 2002. I moved. I'm from. I'm actually from Puerto Rico, but I moved to Chile in 2002, and I start. Uh, Chile had a a World Cup in 1962, so I start uh, and I, uh, get trying to get some some items from 1962, and I actually get uh, a lot of items from that World Cup, and, and then in 2003, I moved to Argentina, and I start like a business, uh, uh, trying to get some jerseys from players, football associations, referees, and since 2016, I started a business in Miami, that is this auctioneer house, so it's very important that, for example, in most uh, auctions, soccer auctions around the world, there's no items are uh, from America or continents from USA Mexico Argentina Brazil so that this this auctioneer brings an opportunity to people from from our continent to get the chance of getting stuff from the uh, athletes that has uh, represent uh, us from the different countries uh, you know it's a fair point there's often a, a lot of eurocentric focus on kind of the history of the sport. Um, That's right. When in reality, m most of the people who are making the important contributions in Europe originated in South America. And, and there's kind of a, a bit of a lost, it's not entirely lost, but it's not given the same kind of respect and focus, I think, that, that people who are more aware of the history of the game would, would give it. Um, and so Football Asta, this is, uh, you know, you're coordinating this. Uh, if you were just a random fan and you were someone was come, asking Football Asta, uh, what's what's the best stuff? What can I look at in this set of items in this the Nations and Idols? That's the series that Football Asta is carrying basically through July fourteenth. Um, what what what's the best of the best? The best of the best. I try to in my press release to put like a chronological order of the history of the game. And I think uh, I have uh, like 10 or 12 highlights uh, starting for uh, what is for me one of the most important items of the auction is the World Cup, the first medal issued uh, to the captain of the Chile national team in 1930. Uh, that's a very important item because it's the first medal uh, that uh, Jules Rimet uh, from FIFA issued to the each captain of each team. So it's very important to the history of the game because that's the first World Cup. And that's the best World Cup for USA team because they finish in third place. Yes. So it's very important for the history of the game. I also have for, for auction for this World Cup the official report uh, of the first game of the USA in a World Cup. So I have the, the document by the executive committee of the Uruguay uh, association uh, presenting the first game July 13 Belgium against USA so that document will be that it's that is a historic document for USA soccer history that will be included in the auction also that is quite interesting and that is definitely a note uh, for some of our listeners who are certainly fans of United States soccer we often think of American soccer in in terms of basically the last 25 years since 1990. Um, and basically a, just a giant stretch of death before that. But in reality, from 1930 to 1950, the United States was very much involved in international competitions, and the best, as you said, the best finish the United States ever had was in that first World Cup when it reached third place, uh, edging out Yugoslavia and finishing only behind Uruguay and Argentina. Um, that's, so that's definitely something that, if, if you're a fan of American soccer, that would definitely be something... Uh, you'd be keeping an eye on, not to mention the fact that there are also more modern uh, mementos, uh, particularly, uh, again, as you mentioned, in uh, Fupilasta's press release coming from Clint Dempsey of the U.S. national team. That's right. Uh, I have a close, a very close rela relation with the equipment manager of the Uruguay national team. And uh, exchanging uh, jerseys from Uruguay and, and USA, I got one of the jerseys used by Clint Dempsey during World Cup. Uh, 
it's very difficult because uh, to find the exact match of the of the jersey, but it's, it was acquired from Guillermo Rebetea, that, that is the equipment manager from the Uruguay team, and he swapped one of uh, Luis Suarez, and he gave uh, uh, the USA equipment manager gave to him one of the jerseys used by Clint Dempsey. So I would I I'm I will plug our own website at this moment. I encourage you to go to our website, magiccity.soccer, and you'll see some of the images available, uh, some of the items available, some some really high quality pictures there. And go to footballasta.com, uh, f-u-t-b-o-l-a-s-t-a dot com, uh, to check out uh, the auction again. If you can, um, Ariel, if you can tell our listeners exactly what do they need to do in order to get in on the bidding on this. Okay, uh, they need to go to the website that you mentioned. It's very easy to register. You need to provide one or two reference, maybe an eBay ID, so everything is fine. And you will see, you will start uh, seeing all catalog by June 25, approximately. Uh, the auction start uh, June 30 to July 14. So you can check uh, all all of the items I, I'm, I, have, to, I have mentioned. And also, for example, I have uh, for auction a 1977 Pelé, a New York Cosmos jersey. That is very interesting, too. I got that from a former Uruguayan uh, teammate that is called uh, Omar Caetano that played with Pelé. And I got the jersey from 1977 from the NASL. That is one of the most famous uh, leagues for me in the history of the game. So it's very interesting. You will see a lot of stuff. You will see the Messi uh, Copa Centenario 2016 that was played in USA. That is not the shirt worn by him, but it's the shirt that was taken from from the locker room by. So the, it's one of the issued shirts for for the final, and that's an, an amazing collector piece with a player size size number six, different than the shirts that you see in stores. Totally different. Sure. So you will see a lot of stuff from 1930 to 2014, taking most of the legends, especially all the legends from our continent. So again, footballasta.com, uh, the, the previews basically go up uh, next month around this time, around June 25th, as you said. The official That's bidding right. will open up online June 30th, and uh, Footballasta is based in Miami Beach, but you can bid online and follow everything there. And, um, yeah, again, if you're a big nerd of the history of the game like I am, uh, you're, you're just going to want to throw yourself – give yourself a couple hours to scroll through all the uh, uh, interesting items uh, that you'll have available there. Ariel, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks to you. A pleasure. All right, again, uh, thank you very much to Aero Gonzalez for uh, the time that he was able to take out uh, from his day to speak to us. He was actually calling me from Argentina uh, when we spoke, so that was pretty interesting. Uh, com. You can find out more information, register for the auction, or just take a look at some of the stuff. I mean, to me, it's fascinating. When you can look at the actual match report from the United States' first World Cup match in 1930, uh, that's remarkable. And you can actually go on our website uh, and take a look at that there, or again, visit Futbolasta and find out more uh, on their own website. So uh, saving the best for last, saving the biggest news in Miami soccer for last, uh, it's happened again. Uh, we have another Major League Soccer team venturing down into Dade County. Uh, you know, last year it was the first time in, I believe, a decade since, uh, you know, uh, Dallas Burn, when it was Dallas Burn, uh, came into play my, the old Miami FC in the Open Cup. Last year it was Atlanta United who came down from Georgia and took a loss at FIU Stadium, at Ever, uh, Ricardo Silva Stadium. And this year, it is Miami United who beat Miami FC and will host at Orlando City uh, in the Open Cup. Omar, it's huge, huge, huge news for South Florida soccer fans. It's, it's the biggest news that you can have, and it's the biggest news that you can really hope for if you're a fan of Florida soccer in general. And yes, maybe if you don't live in Tampa and Jacksonville, you don't care so much. But if you're south of I-4, this is a big deal. Uh, Orlando City coming to Miami is something that has probably been talked about by those who have either traveled from South Florida to go watch an Orlando City match or have been gener- have a general interest in MLS to begin with. 
Orlando City, and granted we don't know the reasons why, has largely ignored the South Florida market. Granted, you can go ahead and tell me, or it could come out that, you know, MLS had always targeted Miami and, you know, David Beckham being in the wings for the last six, seven years, God knows how long now. Um, you know, you didn't want one uh, franchise basically encroaching on the territory of the other. But Orlando City hasn't even bothered to play a friendly in South Florida. And yet they've managed to cultivate, you know, a, a nice pocket of a fan base. And now it makes you wonder, well, did did they make a mistake? Could they have made, turned Ted Hendricks Stadium into Orlando City South? And, you know, it, it may come back to haunt them. Uh, not being able to cultivate this market just a little bit more. Yeah, I'm I'm really, really interested to see what the makeup of the fans at Ted Hendricks is going to be on June 6th because that's going to be fascinating. And, and another thing, speaking about Orlando City and what it has not taken an interest in, um, the Open Cup is one of those things. Orlando City has basically ignored this competition over the years. Uh, two terrible results against two South Florida teams. First off, the Fort Lauderdale Strikers uh, losing at home. And then last year, as we just mentioned, Miami FC traveling up to Orlando and, and really throttling Orlando City kind of in a shocking manner. That was really the the uh, the wake-up call to the rest of the soccer world about what Miami FC was capable of last year. Um, and now this year, they're traveling down here, but one of the reasons why they're traveling down here is because they did not apply to host all three of the other teams that were basically eligible to participate at this point in this southeastern pocket wanted to host. Um, Orlando City did not apply, and so Miami United won the draw to host. But basically, there there was there were precious few other options for Orlando City. They were traveling somewhere. Uh, to me, that was shocking when that was released on the Open Cup draw day. Uh, I was rather stunned by that. Yeah, I mean, and this listen, the last two Open Cup campaigns for Orlando City haven't necessarily been the best, especially when you lose to Miami FC last year if you're an Orlando City supporter. But let's also not joke around and say that this club hasn't necessarily taken this uh, tournament seriously. When they lost to the Fort Lauderdale Strikers at home, it was around a 16 game. And in the Open Cup tournament before then, they made it to the quarterfinals, knocking off teams like Columbus and Charleston Battery uh, in, in rounds before losing to Chicago in the quarterfinals. So, you know, in fairness to, uh, you know, Orlando City, yes, the last two iterations of this tournament haven't gone well. And it almost makes you wonder, is Miami United poised to strike uh, and make this 3-for-3, three three essentially, against teams from South Florida. And and let me explain something here. Miami United's roster has been perfectly crafted by Roberto Saka and the technical department at Miami United because they managed to pick talent that is A, local, B, flies under the radar, and C, seems to just garnish every opportunity they get to make a difference. Uh, Yeah, that I mean, it's been really... Watching this Miami United team play the last couple of weeks has been a real joy. I mean, that's the only way to put it. It's been a tremendous, uh, really, revelation to see them step onto the field and do what they've done. Um, you know, the, the probably the, the, the biggest performer, uh, you know, the player that has stood out the most is Tomas Granito. Uh, who's just been really brilliant, his ability to score and create. But you look at that midfield with Granito, David Ochoa, Nicholas Gorobsov, uh, even Privatera when he's gotten on the field has done great. You know, the the attacking options up front have been really solid. Victor Pelai, our dude, our guy. Uh, Mikoli, when he's, he's gotten some run, he's done well. Uh, I mean, it's just they've been super, super solid. And every challenge they face, they have taken hat on and they have dominated you know in this tournament so far every challenge they face they have handled with a plum and so now go ahead and and the amazing part about this club is also that the one part of the team that is perhaps questionable at best uh is the defensive core and time and time again we look at and we, when we talk about miami united you know, we talk about the firepower up front. We talk about the quality of the goals. We talk about the amount of goals that they're scoring. And yet, they're not really allowing that many in. And we're not talking about the defense. I can't name, other than maybe one player, somebody on their back line. The guys on defense are doing an impeccable job. The goalkeeper is keeping the game 
in front of him and doing a fantastic, fantastic job of just managing what the game is giving to him. Much like the way a catcher has to manage a pitcher, the goalkeeper here for Miami United, and at times it's changed because it has been Peterson at times and it has been uh, Brian Martin. on his last name, and I do apologize. Brian Martin. I was going to say Maxwell. I don't know why. Uh, but Peterson and Martin have done a fantastic job coming up big in scenarios and making sure to position their defensemen in a way that best The reason them. why you wanted to say Max is because there are two defenders named Max. Uh, so you didn't lose your mind. That's probably there. what it is. Um, yeah, you know, the saves when they've needed to be made have been made. You know, like, as we said, really the 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 engine of this team is in the midfield. And that's usually where you want it to be if you're a team that's trying to find success is to, to have everything run out of that midfield go in both directions. Um, and everyone else who's had responsibility, they've stepped up and they've handled it. And if I'm Orlando, I'm not feeling good about this matchup at all. You know, Orlando can come in here and win 4-0, sure. They've got firepower. They've got full professional talent at the highest level of American soccer. But it, it would not shock me, considering Orlando's history, considering the venue, and considering what Miami United has done this year, it would not shock me if Miami United pulled off a 2-1 winner. Not at all. And that's not even to mention that Miami United has recently added yes, James Marshall. Yes, this is true. James Marcelin is a name as familiar as they come in South Florida soccer. Uh, the Haitian uh, pro has been spent some time on pretty much every team down here, and now he's coming in. He got some run uh, against Jacksonville in the Open Cup, and I would I would certainly expect him to either come off the bench or start in that Orlando game, for sure, for sure. So I want to go ahead and dive a little bit into Orlando City's roster. I've, I've been given a lot of flack over the years about following Orlando City and following <laughs> the teams here in Miami pretty closely, and I don't give three dams about it, to be quite honest. Uh, Orlando City comes into this game with a lot of injured bodies, and it really makes you wonder because they have a clogged schedule as well. Yeah, we talked about, you know, basically how difficult uh, it can be, you know, in the MPSL when you have multiple matches and multiple games. But let me lay this one on you real fast. Orlando City is about to embark on a four-game road trip. On Saturday, they've got to go play at NYCFC, you know, obviously at Yankee Stadium. They come back to South Florida for a match against Miami United, and they have to take the transcontinental flight out to Vancouver to play the Whitecaps that Saturday after. So they're going to be running a sense uh, of three games in seven days, and if that's not bad enough, now you've got to fly back the other way across Canada and play Montreal on June 13th. And Orlando City, to their you know accomplishment, are sitting pretty well in the standings. They were managed to they were able to manage six wins in a row. They found themselves in a playoff spot. They currently hold a six five and one record in the MLS, holding the fifth spot in the East. But as I was mentioning, this team is hurt. This team is without Jonathan Spector, who's still suffering from. Uh, the effects of a concussion. Dom Dwyer is on a lower body injury, although Jason Christ has stated that he is, you know, going to come back to the pitch at some point very soon. Scott Sutter's got a lower body injury. Sane, another defender, he's been out with an illness and a lower body injury. Will Johnson missed the last game with an illness. And guess what? Two prominent players for Orlando City are on World Cup duty. So all of a sudden, you take a look at this roster and you're trying to piece together, well, who could show up for Orlando City? And one name stands out well above the rest, or possibly two. Stefano Pino might make his return yeah. to South Florida, and we, we know very well what he can do. And PC might be manning one of the flanks <laughs> for Orlando City in an atmosphere that he knows pretty damn well, too. That would be pretty funny if th- those were the kind of prominent faces that were getting run out for Orlando. Uh, the only question left is uh, who from Miami United is going to be playing for Orlando City next year? Because, again, Orlando seems to love plucking a, a South Florida player up uh, up the turnpike after an open cut matchup. Um, yeah, it's going to be fun. It's it, Just like last year, you know, the lead up to that Atlanta game, we just, to me, the big thing was the fun that was going to be had, the significance it has for South Florida soccer fans. I think I think this game is going to be much the same thing, man. It's just going to be fun. If you like soccer and you live in Dade County and you've, you know, dealt with these years and, and more than a decade kind of in the soccer wilderness, you now have two straight years where a team is representing your county in the Open Cup bringing MLS competition down here so you can watch it, 
that's as good as it gets. And and listen, I understand that you know allegiances die hard, and I know that the crest comes before all else. But when you're a fan of Miami FC and you're a fan of the now defunct Fort Lauderdale Strikers, and you see Miami United with a chance here to knock off, you know. Orlando City of, of what people want to call the Galactic Empire or you know whatever the Star Wars reference is uh, it, it almost makes you wonder for just a second you know can you put that aside for one match and and come out and, and support United through thick and thin for 90 minutes because this is a cultivation of South Florida soccer and I think this is what you really want to see if you're a fan of soccer in South Florida, especially with everything going around its atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, we've said this before. Drew and I uh, basically met at a Miami United game. Uh, Drew actually discovered a photo from it uh, a couple of weeks ago, which is a real treat to see. Um, you know, we've we've been connected. We are connected to the Miami FC as a club, you know, participation through the Dade Brigade and, and, and kind of building... Uh, this larger network of people that are interested in Miami soccer through that club, but there is a special connection with Miami United too. They are the the old guard. They they've been around the longest. They've been playing the longest of any professional team or semi-professional team, however you want to classify it, um, down here. And I will be very excited for them on June sixth. I will be rooting for them. I'm rooting for them to go the whole way because again, to me. Uh, you know, if my team can't win it, I'm not going to go out of my way to deny another team winning it. And if that involves bringing, you know, glory to Miami-Dade County and making people aware of soccer down here, man, I'm all for it. So let's get into the nuts and bolts of this game very quickly. Um, this is going to be a game, as you mentioned, that, you know, would not be surprising if Orlando City scored four and, you know, walked away with a very easy victory. And I don't think many people, at least down here, will be surprised if, you know, the game goes almost the other way and Miami United is able to hold the clean sheet and end the game 2-0. Last year, I was very animated uh, right around this time, and I mentioned that should Orlando City take Miami FC lightly in the 2017 Open Cup, that they were going to be met with disappointment. And Orlando City trotted out a B-minus squad mixed with pretty much seven or eight USL players at the time. And trotted out Kaka in the 65th minute once they were down 3-0. And yes, they were managed to you know get back a goal, but the game did end 3-1. And with Orlando City not having a USL squad to throw their reserves in this year, uh, and, and Miami United showing the strength that it has had, especially locally and in the early part of the MPSL season, you know, I, I don't think necessarily Orlando City needs to throw out, you know, their A squad, but at the same time. This is a match where if I'm Orlando City and I really care about this tournament and, and I want to at least advance the next round to you know possibly get revenge against Atlanta United given everything that's going on between those two franchises, uh, you, you need to show up. You, you need to show up and you need to put out a competent roster. And if you decide to all of a sudden give you know playing time to homegrown talent or you're giving playing time to academy kids or you want Stefano Pino to make magic happen out of thin air... I, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think that's going to be in the cards for Orlando. You know, we've already mentioned that they're missing five guys that would be everyday starters. We're, they're missing two guys that are going to be out more than likely uh, for World Cup duty, and they should, would probably already be at their respective national team camps. So what do you do here? You, you've got to kind of plug and play. You've got to take this game seriously if you really care about it. And as you said, maybe the tea leaves have already been written. Maybe all of a sudden you see that, you know, if you decline to want to host a tournament, uh, maybe you just don't care enough. Maybe you just don't want it. Maybe it's just a blimp on the radar for you. And the most important thing for Orlando is qualifying for the MLS playoffs for the first time, uh, you know, in, in, in club's history. Uh, but, you know, you know that their supporters want this. Almost every supporters, uh, most of the supporters that are in tune, you know, with soccer, and they're not just there on a facade level, care about this tournament so it'll be very interesting to see you know what kind of uh team they deploy and and how they manage it and how they manage the confides of ted hendrick stadium which you know arguably is going to cost fits uh for a club that you know when was the last time that they played an environment like ted hendrick stadium yeah i'm really curious i, I think i gotta do a bit of a deeper dive into their uh their open cup history because yeah this has got to be one of the more unique venues that 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 club will have ever played in Probably dating back to its uh, the old USL days um, when it it was playing in the lower divisions, 
But as if, as if that wasn't enough for Miami United, as, as if possible disrespect coming down the way from an MLS team, looking at a team, what, essentially three divisions below it, do we qualify MPSL as the fourth division of U.S. soccer? Uh, if that's not enough for this club to get motivated and to want to shock the world and, and get another tally for South Florida, by Orlando City refusing to host and Miami, and Miami United's card being pulled first, they have earned the right that if they succeed in winning this game, they have the right of first refusal to host the next round match, which would either be against, guess who, Atlanta United once again coming to Miami or the Charleston Battery. And who doesn't want that? You could potentially move that game out of Ten Hendrick Stadium again. Remember, granted, Miami FC and the NASL had a bigger following that Miami that Miami United currently has. No one's going to argue that. I don't think either. I don't think anybody from the United organization would argue that. You know, because it's just it's it's like saying Trump had the most you know biggest inaugural <sighs> attendance ever, right? Like you can't like the, come on, please. All right, not worth arguing. Uh, and, and in retrospect, I hope everybody sees the point I'm trying to make there, not being literal. Um, it, it's just a scenario where you poise yourself for success. You poise, you find a way to put your name on the map. And you become a household name in U.S. soccer. And that's something that could be huge for Miami United, given the amount of attention that they've been looking to garnish internationally. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such an opportunity for the players. They're going to be playing against major league level, major league soccer uh, level talent. They're going to be in front of the eyes of major league soccer. Uh, the club, again, it, it, it has now put itself in this place where it will be the club where people will be asking, oh, is this the Beckham thing? Oh, you're playing Major League Soccer? That's coming down? You know, that's been where Miami FC has been the last two years. And, and now, you know, I'm saying this kind of half-jokingly, but I, I do mean it where more people are going to know about Miami United in two weeks' time than they do today. Many more people. Because there is going to be a build-up to this game. There is going to be... You know, conversation and discussion. Oh, there's another Major League Soccer team coming into town. The Open Cup, that's coming again. The, you know, there's going to be some rub off from the success that Miami FC had last year. And so because of that, it's just a tremendous opportunity. It's just that that's really the, the, the it will be fun. And, you know, we we joke about the magic of the cup, but in jokes, there are truth. And, and there is some magic to this. And there is, and some of the magic is the craziness and the silliness of the venues and of the teams, especially in the early going and the local qualifiers that get to advance and et cetera, et cetera. But there's, there's some real charm and magic to it, man. And, and if I'm in La Dose or if I'm a member of, if I'm a supporter of Miami United, I've got to just be over the moon. Cause again, last year when it was Miami FC's time in the spotlight, we were over the moon. The opportunity to go up there to Orlando and watch that game, even before it kicked off, you know, thinking that, yeah, there's a chance, but we're probably not going to win. And then, you know, obviously what happened with Stefano Pino and, and, and all that, it just, it's, it's, it's overwhelming in the joy. It's, it's why you put the investment you put in to lower division soccer in this country. Because again, this, we can, we can now go on a whole Absolutely. different conversation about pro well, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, we're, we're not nope. going to, you could, but we're not going to. But because of the way the system is structured, this is the big dog for lower-level soccer. This is it. It's why the qualifying matters so much to get into this tournament. And Absolutely. so this is what you pray for. If you're Miami United, this is what you pray for. All right. So as we're going to go ahead and wrap off this podcast, it's really important for me to remind you guys that tickets are still available for this Miami United match against Orlando City. The match will be played on Wednesday, June 6th. So that's just about if you're listening to today and today's Friday. Well, today's Thursday, but if you're listening on Friday, it's just about five days time. You still can get tickets on Miami United's website. You have to go to MiamiUnitedSoccer.com. Tickets start at $20 a piece if you buy group tickets or if you try to bring in more than just yourself to the stadium. There are discounted tickets available, two for $36, 4 for 60 Comes out to $15 a piece. Save yourself 5 bucks a pop. If you are bringing somebody under the age of 12 or if between the ages of 6 and 12, tickets will be $10 for your child definitely a game that i wouldn't miss if you're a south florida soccer fan if you want to support local soccer you should be here there should be no exceptions to this game you can go ahead and have that dinner date another night yeah it's 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 soccer history you know whenever major league soccer comes down comes back to south florida it's soccer history and you you really would 
you're doing yourself a favor to get out there to Ted Hendricks. Um, yeah, so we will be back next week. We'll be back recapping that game. Um, I think that's it. Omar, anything else? That That is pretty much it on Saturday. If you are not making the trip to Delray Beach to watch Miami FC versus Boca Raton, there is a game locally in town. FC Miami City will be hosting North County United, Palm Beach United's PDL side. Uh, that game will be taking place at Tropical Park free of charge at 6 p.m. again Saturday, June 2nd. I will be out at that match covering the game for Magic City Soccer. So if you see me on the stands by myself, come by and say hello. <laughs> so uh, lots lots to watch, lots to see, lots to check out over the next couple of days and over the next couple of weeks. Uh, so, Omar, thank you very much, pal. Absolutely, uh, for, man. Always uh, a pleasure. You can check uh, Omar out on Twitter. Uh, it's at Mumbai at 11, yes? I'm at yes, Matthew S. Bunch. Uh, you can check out all of our stuff on social media. Just search Magic City Soccer or go to our website, magiccity.soccer. Lots of stuff there to check out, and plenty of people have been checking it out, and thank you for those who are regular readers. Until next time, um, go Miami FC, go Miami United, go Miami Soccer. I was told we were going to talk Champions League. Ooh. F you, Sergio Ramos. <laughs>